0: Hello and welcome to ClapperCast, your weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Carson Tamar, and today I'm very happy to be joined by, I think, a pretty good panel of people. First, let's go to Paul Price. How are you doing, Paul?
1: I'm doing all right. Pretty boring week.
0: (laughs) Alina Folds, how are you doing, Alina?
2: I'm good. I'm really tired. I finally moved home, so I have tons of unpacking to do,
0: but
2: I think it's a good thing.
0: Well, we're happy you took time out of that busy schedule to join us here today. And finally, we have Nicola Grasso. How are you doing, Nick?
3: Doing all right, doing all right, holding up well. So today we're going to be
0: obviously going to Netflix, our favorite, you know, boys. When you release every, a movie or m- multiple movies every week, we kind of end up going to a lot. We have two new releases from them today. But first, let's go over to Neon, up-and-coming distributor. A lot of people really love them, most of the time for good reason. Uh, let's start with their newest film that we've been waiting for release since sundance last year not this year but last year the killing of two lovers hey alex yeah what do you call a pile of kittens
1: what a meowton come on
0: you working yeah this early yeah dad Stop digging. You think we're doing the right thing?
2: David, I love you. You love me. We're trying to figure this out. By the
0: time I'm losing her, Dad. I came to live.
2: Love is a feeling, and feelings, they move in, they move out. Darling, Mom's, Mom's cheating on you.
0: In The Killing of Two Lovers, David desperately tries to keep his family of six together during a separation from his wife. They both agree to see each other, to see other people, but David struggles to grapple with his wife's new relationship. Uh, Alina, why don't you start off with The Killing of Two Lovers? What were your thoughts on Neon's newest release?
2: Oh, I had just finished watching this and I feel like it was not worth waiting for. I just like don't care I don't know if I've just like lost the will to enjoy movies because everything is terrible right now but like I was just suffering through this and I was like I fully don't care about these people and their marriage I honestly don't there was nothing about it that was like captivating or whatever I was like these are just standard marriage problems that like everybody in the fucking Midwest has I don't care about you and I don't care about your kids like I don't understand like how this is how people could like sit through this and be like this is a good movie It's not.
0: I'll go next because I think this is a good movie. I enjoyed this one. Um, as someone who spent a lot of time at like, Montana and Idaho, I really appreciated the rural setting here. I think the acting all around is pretty solid. I think the film definitely takes its time. There are some scenes that just like go on and on and on and nothing really happens of worth. Um, but I think the cinematography is solid. Um, and I think this is just all around, like I, I don't know, I cared about this relationship. I bought into their emotions enough. I will say the ending, I didn't love. I think it's a very interesting look at this compared to Marriage Story. I think this overall does a better job looking at the destruction of a relationship um, as they separate than Marriage Story. But I think the ending of Marriage Story is like drastically better than this film. Um, But as far as my opening thoughts, I, I enjoyed this one for what it was. I don't think it's a masterpiece. A lot of people are really, you know, like, oh, this film is A plus, five out of five stars. I'm not there, but I, you know, I appreciated it for what it was.
3: Yeah, I have a very weird relationship with slow cinema. It's kind of a love-hate relationship, I'd say, because sometimes I'm just bored to tears by those films, and other times I end up loving them for no clear reason, apparently, as to what differentiates the two for me. And The Killing of Two Lovers is one that I actually really enjoyed. Um, When it began, I very much thought it was going to end up being the latter one of those like uneventful 80 minutes long but nothing really happens we're going to be like 10 scenes total in the film but actually what what made the film stick out to me what made it effective is that unlike a lot of slow cinema that tends to have a very objective point of view this one was incredibly subjective especially from the point of the sound design it immerses you in the character of David in a way that's uncomfortable that makes you feel a bit sick a bit dirty right from the first shot of the film and it carries this tension weirdly enough for the entire film and it's it's one of the biggest surprises of the year for me yeah
1: I try not to go into movies with like you know art versus the artist thing but (laughs) with uh Clayne Crawford and specifically this movie, um, if people don't know, Clayton Crawford got fired from the TV show version of Lethal Weapon basically for being just like an abusive piece of shit to yeah everyone. And then doing a movie where he is, but it's explained, and it's like he has all these emotions and these things going through, really bugged me. Almost the entire time I was sitting there and I'm like, he's sitting here going, I will be able to get out of the narrative that I'm a piece of shit by doing this movie about a character that's kind of a piece of shit, but he's uh, he's a little bit you know there's a reason for it and all this stuff, um, but over overall I'm kind of with Alina. There were a couple scenes I liked. I liked the beginning more than everything past maybe the first act, and I just found a lot of the stuff with uh, their kids to be really just slow and uninteresting and weird that almost all the movies we uh, will be talking about are about like bad parents. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. It is beautiful, um, but actually I have a question for you guys. What was up with the one sequence that stretches out long in the um, aspect ratio? And it does not matter, there is no point for it. And the only thing I could figure is that they shot the movie planning to do it, you know, regular 18 by six, uh, 18 by six, is that right? Um, And then decided to square it, but realized this one scene they couldn't fit all the characters in. Because all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's doing something where it's been moving slowly, longer and longer, which is dumb, but interesting, I guess. And then I went back and I'm like, nope, just this one scene. It's like almost embarrassing that they did that.
3: Yeah, that's one of those moments that like I really want to justify it because I am a sucker for like changing aspect ratio. They kind of think that like the director of Waves does, even though it's like it's pretentious, but did hey, you like Lucy? Stunning, in the, whatever.
0: Did you like Lucy in the Sky?
3: i haven't seen it i haven't okay. seen it okay i i haven't heard no one saw lucy in it. the
0: sky hey i did forgotten I by God it. Time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know the, the way that i saw that scene is that it felt like everything was opening up that's kind of like the only interpretation i can have it's like yeah things are opening up again for him there was a bit of hope maybe something's changing but then in the end it goes back to the four by three but i actually quite like the idea of them just being like, yeah, this is cool in four by three, but we cannot do it for this one scene. <laughs> I think that's actually more fun to think about. Um, but no, I dug it. I quite like the for that kind of aspect ratio. It makes everything feel cl- close dim them or claustrophobic. It's, I, would say, I wouldn't say it's a cliche at this point, but that's the main reason why you use it. And I, I thought they used it very well especially with that one scene. There's like this one scene where he's playing with the kids in the open field and the camera is very slowly dollying in or moving in towards them. The, the, that was effective for me. Um, just the subtlety of these camera movements was very nice.
0: That was such a valiant effort to explain that one scene, Nick. Good on you. Um, I couldn't <laughs> put that up. Uh, I think it's very interesting, Paul, that you said the stuff for the kids didn't work. I mean, nothing with the younger kids worked. You know, I mean, were that incredible. But I think the relationship between him and his daughter, I found to be like the most emotionally rich part of the film. I think I liked that and found that much more interesting than him and his wife, wa- or him and his wife, or him and anyone really. I think that was the most emotional scene um it was when they were in the car and she's saying you know you need a fight for us I I found that to be very emotional I found that to be like the emotional core of the film so I found that very interesting that you said the stuff with the kids didn't work that well
1: yeah I mean mainly I don't think the daughter was a particularly great actress so yes maybe the script for that would have been great um but even there the um there's a sequence with a rocket ship um like a toy rocket ship that they're like fighting over and I was just watching it and it was like one of those where I was like I could just feel them call uh and maybe that was the sequence you're talking about with the dolling in but um in terms of cinematography and stuff fine but you could just watch it and you could feel that it was like take seven and (laughs) everyone's kind of moving in a way that like I know what my emotions are and it was just like It was something that's supposed to be like, you know, one of the cruxes of the movie. Um, And it just, it (laughs) feels so flat to me. Um, And every time a scene like that happens where um, I suddenly remember I'm watching a movie, I struggle to get pulled back in and there was not enough time to pull me back in.
2: I feel like because I used to be a teenage girl, I just like the scenes with like the dad and the daughter just like didn't work for me at all because like I've been that girl before. I been my parents aren't separated, but they've like had their like fair share of marriage problems like everyone else does. And like just seeing the like teenage daughter, I was like, man, shut up. Because like I've been in her position before and she just like handled it in like the most stupid and annoying way. And I'm like, this isn't helping anything. And I realized you're a teenage girl, but like, I don't know, just like, and yeah, she was a bad actress. The rocket ship scene, like Paul mentioned, was so like, cringy, and I was like, I was this close to like fast-forwarding it. Like Anytime the kids were just like on screen, anytime anybody was on screen, I was like, I don't want to be here.
3: It's a big endorsement right there for the movie. Yeah,
0: I'm sure they'll use mm-hmm. that as a pull quote if we send it to them.
2: It is
3: interesting that, like, I, I was looking for it, I think, though, it's very clear like they were all actual brothers and sisters, right? All four of the kids, because they share the same surname. So that's that's interesting casting. I think it paid off. There's, like, for me, it paid off at least. Mainly in the, it's like right before this rocket ship scene. Like they're all together in the car driving to this place, and it's again like one long take of them in in the car talking, interacting with one another, getting in. The father's cracking jokes. They're annoyed by him, rightfully so. But that to me felt very natural, um, because I do remember like being a teenager. In my case, actually, like the kids, being just annoyed that your dad trying to almost force the jokes to make some situations feel lighter, feel more fun, even though you can feel a sense of unease, and all like that feeling, I probably just a very like, I just love depressing things, I guess. But that's the kind of feeling I really appreciated from the beginning to end in this film. The level of detail found, I've mentioned it before, but like found in the sound design in making you feel like David. it's commendable because no one wants to feel like shit. <laughs> no one wants to be like, you know who I would like to feel like? Like this awful person. But I think by doing so, it's, it's it's forcing you to see it from his perspective in a way that doesn't feel like it's necessarily justifying his actions, but more so giving meaning to them. So that by the end, you're, you're feeling some sympathy for him. You're feeling the frustration, but you're also like, yeah, you need to chill out. Like you don't need to go at 2 a.m. in the morning to your children and start talking to them while they're sleeping because it's very really creepy. And it's an interesting character study very much, especially since I haven't seen a movie like this in a long time and it was refreshing. Just something so committed to this one vision for better and worse because again the pacing it's it either will work or it won't but thankfully it was in the right mood when i saw this i
0: just think what it comes down to for me is like i really appreciate this film for what it is i think claim crawford like i i love his performance here but now that like i know he's like this bad piece of shit like i just so hard it really kind of ruins the film in a sense because that's the character you're supposed to be empathizing with that it hurts it so much to know that because I didn't know that going in I don't know who the fuck Lane Crawford is so like th- that sucks but I-, I think his performance here is good but like yeah if he's a pile of shit that doesn't really work but I don't know I-, I appreciate this film for what it is not a masterpiece but I enjoyed
1: it at least um yeah and going back to um what we've been talking about with pacing um one of the things I've noticed especially with indie movies recently um is this auteurish thought process that one person can write direct produce and edit the movie and I think people have started doing it you're seeing it more and more and more um and the problem with that is there's no Conversations at all in the filmmaking process on does the scene work? Because the writer would write something that the director thinks is a little too long, is a little too indulgent, is a little. If the writer's the director, that's also, <laughs> you know, no one's talking about that. Okay, now we're into shooting. Okay, so we shoot it, we go into the editing bay, and, you know, it's the same thing. If the director's sitting there and he's editing, if a scene isn't working, no one's telling him it's not working. You know, some of his friends, his family or whatever, that's one thing. But like, it's still within the confines of, there's no one with a job required to talk about like, you know, hey, this, this sequence isn't working or you're not noticing this one thing and losing all of the checks and balances. It's getting to the point where it's like so many movies just feel long and indulgent and I'm getting very bored of it. You know you sit back and you look at like Hitchcock or something and it's like he was doing someone else's script for the most part and he was doing having a different editor and that's why we're all like oh wow it's such great directing we're not like you know you never think of it not being Hitchcock's movie you don't think of the editor or anything but these people are so focused on it's my vision I just want to keep it um that I think it's really starting to cause problems um And, you know, it'll be interesting in a post like Nomadland world um, where someone just thought, oh, she got nominated for four Oscars and won two. That's definitely what I should do. And I think we're going to start seeing this more and more with like newer directors where it's like, I'm not going to have an editor. And we're also like taking away work from people. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I understand it's to keep things on a tight budget sometimes, but for the most part, I think it's a creative choice that's a poor one.
3: Yeah, and as an up and coming filmmaker, I can confirm I belong to that, to the pretentious, like, I'm doing all of it. It's, it's, it's my film. <laughs> but it's, it's I, sp- I think the main problem, especially with something like this, is that if it were a bit more conventional, you know, like, you know, shot, reverse shot, different angles, all of that, an editor could try and reinvent the film but you would never get like a Star Wars out of something like this because it's like, that's bold. But I'm like, this is bold, you're screwed. Like a scene is one shot. I think maybe I'm mistaken, but like almost literally every single scene is just one shot, right? So if, if the pacing is bad in that one scene, it just falls off completely. And it's, yeah, again, weirdly enough, it worked for me, but I've also been lately on a, Chantal Ackerman binge which is just like long static shots and nothing really happens so I was right perfectly with the right mindset of enjoying something like this um yeah
0: I will say I lied there's actually one more thing I will say um I where I do think the film over like there are some scenes that felt boring I think it says something that this film is like objectively actually so short but it doesn't feel like a short film like there are movies that are like 70, 80 minutes, that's like, wow, you're in and out. This felt like a full, you know, hour 40, two-hour film, and it's not. So even though, like, I don't think it dragged that much for me, that does say something that is, you know, slower, and I'm happy they didn't go full two hours, because then it probably would be much more painful to get through than it is.
1: And that's a uh, great transition to the animated movie we're about to talk about.
0: (laughs) Wow. Well, let's take that, I guess. Let's jump over to Netflix. Uh, This is a film, another film really well received um, so far. I have a feeling that not everyone here, judging off that comment, is gonna agree with that statement that this is gonna be a good film. Uh, Let's jump over to The Mitchells versus The Machines.
2: Let it begin. The last humans must be here somewhere. Wait. They're coming. Is that a burnt orange 1993 station wagon, or is it?
0: Ah! Who are these unstoppable
2: warriors? We're the Mitchells, the only people who can save the world. I'm super sorry, everyone.
1: Let me introduce myself. I'm Katie. I'm sort of a weirdo. My parents haven't figured me out yet. To be fair, it took me a while to figure myself out. My brother, also weird.
0: Hi, would you like to talk to me about dinosaurs? No, okay, thank
2: you. And my mom. Katie, face wow. All of us,
0: really. How about we put our phones down and we can make 10 seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Starting now.
2: See, this is good right here. This is natural.
0: In The Mitchells Versus The Machines, a quirky, dysfunctional family's road trip gets upended when they find themselves in the middle of a robot apocalypse and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope.
1: Paul, you seem really eager to share your love for this film. Why don't you start us off? This movie is like 500 hours long. (laughs) There is no, not one moment that'll happen in the rest of this damn movie that I'm going to go, oh, that's a surprise. Or even like, you know, something that felt revolutionary and it's covered in basically curbing, you know, uh, into the Spider-Verse, which is an amazing film, but like taking that concept and just like, this is now what Sony Animation does, with the comedies more similar to something like, you know, The Emoji Movie, the rest of them. And, uh, you know, it's that, and then you have this casting of great actors across the board. I seriously like almost every single person in there, like from their other work, all of them were annoying to me. Um, they have weird, and we'll probably get into this more, but like there's weird aspects of like, this is representation that just graded me, you know? Um, Queer representation is not a button that a character wears. Um, And it just feels like it was so self-congratulatory, even from the word go. Like the whole time I'm watching it, they're like, this is gonna win best animated movie. And it, it's just a very frustrating movie for me. I'm curious what you guys think, though.
2: I liked it, like, just fine. I didn't I didn't think it was, like, the most amazing thing ever. I found, like, the plot was very straightforward. It was like, we are going to go and shut down all these machines, so let's go and do that. And I was like, okay, this is a children's movie. I can follow this. This is fine. Um The family itself, I just, I don't like that all these animated movies just make people quirky for the sake of being quirky like, a lot of their, like, personality traits and, like, interests, most of them have, like, there's just, like, no reason for it, and they just, like, did it for the sake of, like, driving the plot, The the, oh my god, for the sake of driving the plot forward. The whole, like, thing in the beginning when Katie's, like, narrating about, like, going to film school and all this stuff, I was like, oh god, I don't care, because I hear this all the time from all my friends about how they want to go to film school. I was like, I don't want to watch this in a movie. I know what you guys want to do. Shut up. Um And I don't know, I really liked the pug in it. I like how there's always like a derpy animal. That's like the one thing I can cling to. And a lot of the jokes I remember laughing at last night, but now that we're talking about it the next morning, I can't remember any of them. So like, I don't know, it's fine. I had a good time watching it, but it's very forgettable.
3: Yeah, I I, I enjoyed this. I, I enjoyed this in a very, I enjoyed it a lot in an incredibly superficial way. It's kind of like like you said Lina it just it was just a good mm-hmm. ride like you know I wasn't I wasn't bored um there is something that's that's troubling for me which is do we really need the TikTok, instagram aesthetic in animated movies constantly like from beginning to end it's always reusing these pop-ups these stickers the studio animation that comes and goes in completely inconsistent ways um, it didn't break the film in any way for me, but it did kind of annoy me slightly. But what made it work for me was mainly that it had a good heart. Um, unlike other animated movies, I tend to watch most of them that come out. Like, I mean, it's the most popular ones that come out every year. Some of them do feel very cynical. This one didn't, weirdly enough. I was expecting to hate it, absolutely. From When I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, no, save me. But no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's, um, it's, it. I think the cast of actors elevate the characters, which I don't usually say this for animated movies, but all of the performances was were really good from the voice cast. Um, and I'm always just a sucker for Eric Andre in any way, shape, or form. So that that was a plus for me.
1: It's it's interesting you were talking about the pop-ups and things, because actually. Um, that was the there was one of those jokes that um, was the moment that I like clicked from giving this movie a chance to like being really annoyed with it (laughs) Um, there was they're going through and they're showing like all the different adventures the family is going on and and there's one spot where they're going on a hike um, through the canyons
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: they cut to uh, there's a big storm and one of the donkeys that they're taking goes down the water and the family screaming and the dad says something like the river uh you know he belongs to the river now or something like that and it was the funniest joke in the movie and immediately they cut to no animals were harmed in the and it's like a complete misunderstanding of like what humor is and it does feel like TikTok humor it's like, like oh we're already on to the next joke give it a beat a single second Like, you know, uh, usually with like humor, you cut to them soaking wet in the car or something in the next scene and then you move on, but you like give a moment, just joke, joke, joke. And it felt like the rapid fireness feels like an excuse to have a bunch of like C plus jokes, but maybe one will hit. It's like throwing everything at the wall. I think that's one thing I appreciate about the
0: film though. Like this in a lot of ways just tries to do so much. And granted, like when you do that, not everything is going to work. Um, The animation itself, you know, there's a lot of blending of 2D, 3D, live action um, and where it's like really inconsistent, not always good. There's a lot of like really awkward moments. I will take something trying to be experimental and trying to push this animation field much more than like soul that granted is more beautiful than this film is overall, but ultimately plays it safe. We talked about that with Soul, I think this is how you push the animation field in the animation genre. Because if you just focus on capturing real life, you hit a wall because you hit real life. And that's really uninteresting as seen with the Lion King. Um, I also like the comedy itself, it, it reminds me a lot of like the Lego Batman movie even and the Lego films where it's just like nonstop, fucking craziness and a lot of that misses to be fair a lot of it misses but there is a lot that hits i found the like, family dynamics to work really well um there were the little things here and there that i really really enjoyed um and I, I overall like i think this film is fun it's not like all shit it's not so much shit to where it's not fun i found this film consistently fun even if a lot of the jokes, like as they were doing, it, was like, eh. But I think what shines here is the family dynamics. I think especially her and her brother, like genuinely so sweet and so cute. Um, I don't know. I had fun with this one.
1: I uh, I don't want to be the negative Nancy, but I will say actually the brother was one of the most frustrating things for me on multiple levels. Um, I was He's watching... an
0: innocent young kid who likes dinosaurs. Paul, how do you hate this? One? No, no,
1: no, no. He's fine but I was watching and after two lines of dialogue, I was 100% sure that the director had voiced him. I was was sure, did not even have to look it up. I did, I was right, but, um, and it's this thing. um, So uh, I don't know how to say his last name, Renata, I think, or Randa, it doesn't
3: matter.
1: Yeah, something like that. Anyway, Mike. is from Gravity Falls he worked on um as one of the art directors I think um so he has that background and Alex Hirsch um figured out a way at Disney to make a little extra money by casting himself as a bunch of side characters and you get all those residuals and it's this thing that the animation community has started doing where you're like For him, Alex Hirsch um, is a really good voice actor. That is fine. You know, he cast himself as the son and it is a complete miscasting. You can go read the letterbox reviews, even like the people who are like 100% all in on the movie are like, weird casting on the kid. I don't know how anyone didn't look and see that it was the director casting himself. Um, But it's, it's this thing that's like, uh really through the movie because every time that little kid spoke it was a man's voice not even slightly disguised not even like a comical version it was just a man's voice um which is just such an odd choice but yeah we were talking about casting earlier um I did love Olivia Coleman I was really upset that she was in this because it really lowered my uh actor ratings on my uh, <laughs> Letterboxd, I like put it in, I was like my one star, and I was like, sorry, Olivia. (laughs) (laughs) She drops off my favorite actresses list, just plummets.
3: What surprised me about the film is that, like we said, (laughs) there was so many jokes. Like, it's non-stop a barrage of gags, visuals. Again, the one that annoyed me the most was the 2D animation things that just popped up randomly, inconsistently. But there are two moments that just made me cry from laughter. And I think it's probably exhaustion as well, because there's just so many jokes you can take in quick succession before breaking down. Um, and for me, I don't know if it's a spoiler, I don't think so, but the whole Furby scene. For some reason, that just (laughs) that with the subtitles and everything. I probably just saw hidden nostalgia for Furby that didn't know existed be- inside of me. I don't know, but that that killed me a lot. And we mentioned the pug, like in those freaking Sony Animation movies, they always need to have a dog that's so annoying and it has the weirdest design. But in this one, it just worked. It just worked.
0: <laughs> oh, thank God! I thought you were going to say <laughs> this one was annoying.
3: No, 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 no. Like it's like it. It destroys the robots. He makes them go insane because they cannot distinguish him. That's the silliest, but just it works so well. It was endearing. It was endearing. It's so endearing. Again, yeah. so, so many flaws. But but I just sat there with a smile on my face going, yeah, you know what? I'll take it. I will say I was looking at the list of all the other Sony animation movies. I'll probably say this is the second best after Into the Spider-Verse. Like well, I think the that... whole Transylvania ones just got way worse over time. Um, I haven't seen the Pirates one they did. Did they do With Angry Birds?
0: Is that Sony? I... Angry Birds 2, specifically. Think, yeah. That one was good. That one's like shockingly good. If you've not seen Angry Birds 2, would recommend. Um... I think the one thing that bothered me, like, truly bothered me in this film is, this girl is supposed to be inspired by Greta Gerwig. She has this thing. I don't think any of those inspirations would lead to Dog Cop. I was like, I don't think that adds up fully, like, the films you're interested in, the films you're making, but, you know, whatever. It was cute enough.
1: It was interesting. Have you guys seen um, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl? Yes. Yeah. That's a movie uh, some people dislike it, some people like it. I think it's a little too quirky, but I also think, like, some of the emotions really work, but the way that they do his um he has the same kind of passion as um the lead character and this katie mitchell and i think that when they show his battery creations and what it means and everything like that um it makes so much more sense than her character especially with what you guys are talking about with good cop dog cop um that also that she's so famous that uh the Steve Jobs character is like, oh, yeah, this is my favorite video. And I'm like, you would have already hired her. <laughs> like, there's no scenario <laughs> where this, like, random internet girl is like shocked she gets into this college and all this stuff if she's so famous that everyone's watching it. Um,
3: it doesn't she have like 296 but... subscribers or something? Like that <laughs> <Yeah. every day. laughs> she's so, so famous. Like, but...
1: that. No. And. Uh, there's just so many parts in the movie where it just feels like, and okay, sure, this, and um, but yeah, it was really interesting to see, um, you know, as someone who was a film nerd, uh, what was. people like decide film tense. nerds are like. Yeah, this movie actually killed these three. Really, just killed my interest in cinema. <laughs> Um, so I think I'm done with gonna go ever start watching bo- movies.
0: You're gonna go start like a book <laughs> podcast now. You're done. You're done with this stupid Just art gonna form. live
1: in the forest now. Um, yeah, I did not like this movie. Wow. I thought I was gonna be very like um, you know, casual about it. I think overall, looking at letterbox, this conversation, all that what I'm noticing is that there's this thing where people go, yeah, but it's like an animated movie. And my dad's an editor in animation. Um, I was raised around animation, you know. I like would get out of school and I'd go hang out on the, you know, at the production place that did the Jimmy Neutron movie and things like that and the TV show. And so like, I was raised in this like, you know, weird, my dad's, uh, you know, Jimmy Neutron was the first, part of the first group that got nominated for uh, the animated feature Oscar. So it was like a big deal to like have art kind of as film eras animation and I feel like we're still sitting in this area and you can hear it in almost every conversation about animation that's like it's fine for a kid's movie and it's like we're in a post Paddington 2 world where you know it's the number one film uh you know highest rated film of all time children's movies should be judged in the same way we're judging anything else you know um it's just such a weird thing that it's like oh this is not even for kids as much. It's just, oh, it's not live action. It's not uh, treated on the same scale that, you know, other art is. And I think it really needs to start, you know, being pushed more or we're just going to get like, you know, It's like Uh, America's
0: Got Talent, and every fucking time they have a child come on, you know they're getting voted through, no matter how shitty they are, and I'm sorry, if you sign up to the singing competition against adults, you are agreeing to being judged as the adults, and if you're shitty, even though you're a child, you don't get to go through, because you're bad at singing, and you fucking suck. I hate that. It literally pisses me off when they do that.
1: Very specific, but right track. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure all of no people were caught up on that, but yes, I'm sure it is true. Um, yeah, no, it's exactly that, where it's like, you know, um, this is treated on different standards. Currently, this movie is at a 4.1 on Letterbox. It is currently a better movie than Nomadland. Which you know I don't love Nomadland, but like, which one do you, <laughs> one on, do you think is better? Um, I mean, I was thinking about it, and I was like, <sighs> probably Nomadland. Hell yeah! Like, <sighs> best picture winner, and when this wins, the does
2: that hurt you to best, say, Paul?
1: I it was hard for me to say. Uh, they both got one star for me, but um, you know, Nomadland does have some like things that I remember even now you know um this movie is floating away like you know cake in a river it's just like I have no like it's all just falling apart and I'm like I don't remember anything that happened in this movie like you know you're talking about the Furby scene which is like another one of those uh look a reference I think it's funny it was one of the funniest parts of the movie but um you know it's (laughs) It's not a movie that has any memorable things. And so much of it is curbed. You know, you are talking about the animation style. That's Spider-Verse. This isn't a new animation style. They just threw yeah. doodles on top of, um, you know, story-wise, it's The Incredibles, but, like, they're normal. And then, you know, you can go through thing after thing after thing. And it's, like, this movie's just a hodgepodge of a bunch of different better things. Um, well, it's a
0: goofy movie with The
1: Incredibles, been- right? Like... That's just what it is. Yeah, perfect. Um, lesbian goofy movie. You know, I think it would be interesting. The original plan was for this to be released in theaters. I do wonder if people's opinions of it would be different if they paid $17.99 for it versus it was free. Um, really, you think No, That's always something that I'm curious about with the Netflix movies because I feel like it's a love or hate with Netflix in a yeah. way that's um, not... For movies there's a lot more nuance when a thing is in a theater um you find there's a lot the, more like the,
0: i think this has the energy and charm to people like it i was thinking because this was supposed to come out like in october i was wondering if this would have enough momentum to beat soul if had it come out at the oscars i think this would have much more passion than wolf walkers and mainstream potential
1: yeah wolf walkers i think um was a problem of being released on apple but um Yeah, uh, no, I do think it would have been a bigger fight, um, which would have been interesting. I think, you know, there is a chance that Soul would have just come out with the best score.
0: And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode.
1: Well, on that note, let's move on
0: to our final film. I, you know, I think there's an argument. This is the best one out of the three. Let's talk about things heard and seen. I think I've found the perfect house for us.
3: You,
2: you thought this through? George really wants this. I owe it to him, at least try. You know, when
3: I saw this place, I knew immediately it was for us.
1: There's definitely updating that needs to be done here.
2: Yeah, certainly could use a paint job.
3: Yeah, but look at these bones. I
2: love it my you're an exceptional
3: husband Then
0: you are an exceptional wife. in things heard and seen catherine claire reluctantly trades life in 1980s manhattan for a remote home in the tiny hamlet of chosen new york after her husband george lands a job teaching art history at a small hudson valley college um i'm gonna start us off here i think this movie shit this movie fucking sucks uh, this movie like we you know we've heard complaints today about the killing of two lovers we've heard complaints about the Mitchells versus the machines I don't know how you can watch this compare to them and be like oh it's that good the one decent part of this film is Amanda Seyfried who's like just fantastic we love you queen best part of make best part of like everything you're in um, you know we love you But other than that, this film is so fucking boring. This film sucks. The paranormal stuff is genuinely laughable. Like, it is funny how horribly made it is. There's this one scene where like a portrait or like a painting is supposed to like change, and all they do is like kind of (laughs) zoom, like you can tell, just zoom in on it and add a sound effect to where it's like laughably bad. The napkin flying at that one point was hilarious. Like, this whole thing is so horribly made. Like Netflix doesn't disappoint you know Netflix you think like well maybe we're you know we're hard on Netflix maybe Netflix isn't all bad maybe you know maybe there is some quality here and then you watch this and you're like well that was a Netflix film I hated this film I fuck it like this one sucked
1: uh I didn't know till this very moment after watching this entire film that it was set in the 80s you said that I was like wait what (laughs) I had no clue that there was everyone was just in normal clothing it was just like yeah this is you know up north um i hated this film but also loved this film this was there was about a point halfway through and it was when marion from uh in the indiana jones movies shows up and gives the worst line reading i think i've ever heard and um As soon as that happened, I was like, oh, this movie's funny. This is really funny. And once I knew that this was not going to be a good movie, and it was probably very funny, it becomes borderline hysterical. There are so many moments in this where people are overacting, uh, where the film just like decides to take turns, and you're like, oh, I thought we were doing this movie. And it's just like, no, 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 no. Supernatural stuff doesn't really matter, actually. <laughs> we're, we're on this like whole plot about like um getting recommendations for your job. <laughs> it's just like it's just totally psychotic. Amanda is doing fine work, but it is so like campy because she's trying. I think there was a thought process, you know, someone on Letterboxd said that. Uh, Even based on the poster, she thought that she was probably doing like a new First Reformed. And (laughs) you really watch it and you're like, she thinks maybe this is like another Oscar role. And the rest of the movie is just absolutely insane. But um, I've added it to my like, so bad it's good category. I can't even call it a bad movie. It's so good.
3: (laughs) One subgenre of horror that I really enjoy are usually ghost stories but also they tend to be the most repetitive movies to the point that if you've seen like three or four of them, you've seen all of them. And this one is the most cookie cutter, generic ghost story I've ever seen to the point that I wouldn't even call it a ghost story, honestly. Uh, this was bad. This was bad in a way that was very entertaining while watching it, but also completely forgettable to the point that I had to rewatch the trailer and read the Wikipedia synopsis to be sure I actually did see this movie. Because I was like, I don't remember this many things. And I saw it yesterday. Um, this, was, this was long. Like we're talking about Killing of Two Lovers feeling long. I felt the two hours here. I really did. And it's, I honestly wonder what was the thought process behind making this, because were they trying to make it a scary film because there's nothing scary. We're trying to make it a mystery. There's no mystery. <laughs> it's just a husband being abusive and just a bit of a dick and cheating on his wife and the wife just seeing shit, weird things around their house and, and that's it. That's the whole film for two hours. Um, but yeah, I would say the this script, this script makes this film. It truly does like you said paul there's so many lines so many sequences you have the kids of the woman who died in the house come help him on the side with and doing paintings you have natalie dyer who at this point has become the opposite of a seal of approval she's like okay if she's in a film especially a netflix film just stray away from it because it's not going to be good um yeah, how did they get this many people? How did they get F. Murray Abram? Is it really this desperate <laughs> to be in a movie now?
1: Well, I was curious actually, um, I was popping before Alina said, um, when you said like, you know, what was the how did they get people? Um, this is the director combo that did American Splendor and the Nanny Diaries, which <laughs> like how they went from those two movies to, oh, we're going to make this like really moody horror. Like things of bad things have happened in their career. (laughs)
2: Um, I want to start off by saying it like actually makes me angry that this is called things heard and seen instead of seen and heard. Like every time we say the proper title, it like makes me physically ill because it's just stupid. Why is it like that way? I know it's like, obviously like a choice but it's a dumb choice and I hate it. Um, I did have a fun time watching this movie, though. Like, there's just so much in it that I was, like, truly entertained during, like, the entire movie. Like, there's cheating, there's marriage problems, there's ghosts. I was, like, okay. It reminded me of, like, an episode of Supernatural. Um, because, like, I'm really chicken shit, and I hate watching horror movies, and I was, like, I don't want to sit through this. Like, I'm scared. So I watched this one during the day when everything was bright out with my cat, and then I was just, like, Barreling through this, and I was like, Oh, this is fine. This isn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. It isn't scary at all. There's just like happens to be ghosts. And honestly, that's what this movie is it's just marriage problems with like a side of a haunted house. Like, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that honestly just like makes no sense. And it feels like they tried to make it a horror when it didn't need to be at all. Um, also, I'm very confused by the ending. I'm just like, I don't know what happened.
1: (laughs) Okay, so I fully had to go watch one of those uh, The Ending Explained videos, which I always think are really corny, but for this one, I was like, I feel like there is so much backstory on this that I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to get a whole ass lesson, and I did. So, apparently it has to do with, like, this religion um, that's like an offshoot of Christianity, and the first, the old man from way back who had the Uh, who killed his wife the first time in her ring she joined a new religion and he wasn't about it and all of the paintings symbolize like tell you what's going to happen like it's one of those things where you sit there and you're like oh they lost their minds sitting trying to like make this so um you know mean so much that it means absolutely nothing no person knows any of these like you know random offshoot religions (laughs) enough to be like And I'm sure it's somewhere in the lines and things like that. And I'm sure like, if you know, the thing is, people who would know the art that's being referenced in here are not the people who are (laughs) watching this movie. Um, And I don't know if they thought this was going to be like a really like classic film. Um, But yeah, one of my favorite uh, aspects though is everything with Rhea Seahorn, who is like, acting in a completely different movie um and every time she interacts with some of the characters I was like cracking up (laughs) because she um she seems to be like having a lot of fun and it was the only parts where I was like this might be like okay like this sequence is okay but everyone else is just oh um but yeah it's a interesting thing I didn't even know that was F. Murray Abraham. This man has an Oscar. You know, the one thing
0: I can relate this to viewing wise, like what this kept reminding me of was The Devil All the Time, from also from Netflix. You know, fair enough. Where it's just like, yeah, I I can see. Like, I guess there is stuff here that like they're trying to. It's not like an empty, completely hollow film, but like the execution's so boring, and I never vibed with it. I never cared. And they're both period pieces, even though this one I also didn't know was trying to be a period piece. You know, it's just, it's so boring. This is like, I think this is the worst genre of Netflix film. Like there's bad Netflix films, like Mute was horrible. And there's plenty of like bad Netflix films to be fair, but like this just boring period piece drama is horrible. It's so hard to sit through. And this
3: one is also based on a book a book that's titled All Things Cease to Appear which is like a hundred times more interesting than Things Heard and Seen. I don't know why they changed the title. They changed the name of the characters. I read like a bit of the synopsis. It's basically the same thing. They changed the name of the characters because I don't know. Wasn't but... The
0: Devil All the Time also based on a book?
3: It was. Yeah. yeah
0: well, connections.
3: Yeah. But
0: why you should this... read kids. Don't read shit you get shit from them
1: oh this book i know this book it was like one of those things that like was i guess really popular and so uh barnes noble had it at the front of their store for like every single week for like two straight years um and i always wanted to pick it up because i liked the title um as soon as you said it i was like oh yeah i would have been interested to have read this book and then watched this movie because i'm sure the book is fine
0: <laughs> Clavercast
3: book club <laughs> it's happening I can see this being a proper like in book form I can see this being like a proper throwback to gothic horror where the ghosts aren't the real thing you should be afraid of where there's things happening but this felt like a it felt like it wanted to be a bit of like a Amityville horror without being the Amityville horror it's just it's almost like it's afraid of being a genre film which is for me I'm a big fan of pretty much every, everything cinema, honestly. But if there's something that upsets me a lot is genre movies that are afraid of being genre movies. And this is exactly that. Like, oh yeah, there's there's spooky things going around in the house. The, the, the light is flickering for the baby. And oh, we're having a seance and an is <laughs> flying in the air. That's like the most exciting set piece in the movie. I was watching it, I was like, okay, sure. Okay, yeah, just just baffled, just baffled. There was only one, like all film, it was entertaining, it was a bit uninspired, whatever. I did enjoy one of the final shots without going into, like, this is a full-on spoiler, but like what happens to the James Norton character to the husband, I thought that was leaps and bounds more interesting than anything else that happens in the entire movie. I was like, I wish this entire film had this kind of aesthetic and this kind of artistic ambition even, instead of just being a kind of like this blah. And it doesn't fit because it's it just feels odd. But at least it was pretty visual, I guess.
1: Uh, going off what you said earlier, I just went and read the spoiler review of um, All Things Cease to Appear. It's a completely different movie. Like, There are, it starts with the ending of this one and then goes back in time, but also um, utilizes the original story about the kids' parents that like they just talk about. Apparently that's the secondary main character. (laughs) So it goes between those back and forth. And now that you like see it, you're like, oh, so they just decided to take this, you know, narrative jumping movie and just like make it, straightforward and that is a lot of the problems in terms of like the plotting because if you knew some of the stuff that happens later on in the movie ahead of time it wouldn't be so weird when those things suddenly start happening um which I think is just a really big problem with um you know not all pieces of media are able to be easily adapted um especially like you know these books that are you know really well known and that's one of the things netflix has actually been having a lot of problems with um it's either this or it's like an eight episode miniseries that's far too long um which is interesting that they keep buying up these properties i guess they do well i don't know what the numbers will be on this one um i would assume actually pretty great um because most of my friends know more about this one than any of the other movies we've talked about just because it's amanda seyfried in a you know, horror movie. Of course, I'll watch it. They won't enjoy it, but they'll watch it.
0: I'd be fascinated with the percentage of people who start this film uh, compared to how many people end, like, finish the film. I'd be fascinated with those numbers, because I feel like that
1: must be a very low percentage. Fun fact, that's called stickiness, by the way. It's the official Netflix word, is stickiness.
2: I feel like the main problem of this movie is it just doesn't have enough time to, like, breathe into all of the themes it's going for and it sounds like the book would have like much time with that because I started reading like about it as well and all of those like things that like theology and the afterlife are just things that are just like briefly mentioned like there's a part in the seance I think when like one guy mentions like oh that guy was a Calvinist and like Amanda Seyfried mentions that she's, like, Catholic, and I'm just, like, you just, like, mention these things, but you don't go, like, deep enough into it just to make us, like, understand, and then they pick, like, some obscure artist and some obscure, like, Swedish, like, philosopher, and I felt, like, the movie expected me to, like, know who these people are. I'm, like, I did a lot of art history and like, university and stuff, but I was, like, this dude, like, doesn't, like, mean anything to me. I don't understand, like, it feels like they expect you to like know a bunch of like random obscure topics to fully like understand the depth of the movie. And like, that shouldn't happen in movies. They shouldn't have to go through like a whole university degree on like whatever that Swedish dude is to like get what they're going for here. And it also felt like it didn't even matter.
1: Yeah, no, none of it mattered. I will say um, once I knew that this was a bad movie, um, the Karen Allen line on, Um, I started recording all of my favorite lines and just sending them to my friends. Uh, My two favorites were, um, I'm sick, George. I'm throwing up our marriage, which is art. And then also, he was a first-class homo, which is also amazing. (laughs) Both times, I was like, (laughs) they wrote this down. And then someone said that line. And they were like, yep, we're keeping both of these.
3: A quality script quality script through and through
0: yeah as you should sounds you know pretty great lines I would say
3: I really want to read the book now actually same I think if they yeah. manage to connect the whole because they keep going on about like the, the ghost of the woman who died in the house and there's this sort of connection with Amanda Cyphered, but it's all text like it's all exposition they're telling you there's a connection ooh there's something but you never feel it and I think if a book actually showed you this woman, it could work so much better. And if anything, I would say this kind of reminded me also of another Netflix movie, a movie that the first time I watched it, I could I just hated it so much back when it came out. But I revisited it last October, and I really enjoyed it. It's "I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House" from Oz Perkins. And that is I remember hating that. But same. Is it better?
0: I feel like Oz Perkins isn't your type of filmmaker, Paul, to be fair. Out of everything I've seen from him, I don't think he's (laughs) very you.
3: (laughs) It's very slow, very, very slow. And I don't honestly, I would say I don't I I would say I didn't like his films, but then I rewatched this one because a friend said, no, but it's actually really good. And watching it like three years later, with the right mood, right mindset, and just headphones on, it just worked. And what worked about it, it doesn't work in this one, because it's kind of actually the same thing. I wouldn't be surprised if, depending on when the book came out, if Oz Perkins was inspired by that book, because it's about a woman who goes in a house and there was a writer there who had written books and she starts reading these novels that are about a woman who lived in this house earlier before and there was a murder. And there's this connection between this, this new person living in the house, seeing this ghost, it's 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 a better version of this film, basically, except without the whole baggage of, like, the husband was cheating on her. Just like, uh, I'm so annoyed. I'm so annoyed by this constant of, like, girls who are seemingly smart, and they're like, yeah, you have a wife, and you have a kid, huh? huh? You're not going to sleep with me. It's next scene. Well, aren't you coming to bed? <laughs> what are you waiting for? Just like, what? Who, who's, who's, who writes these characters? I, again, it's, I think both of the creators are men, I guess. I don't know if Shara is a woman's name, probably is. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's frustrating.
0: This movie sucks. I don't know. That's my big takeaway the, from this movie. It sucks.
1: The <laughs> more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm remembering the scenes, and I'm just like getting so joyful. Um, like, Rhea Seahorn's character. Um sitting outside <laughs> this guy's office all night long, not knowing he was gonna show up. <laughs> and she's like, I'm here. And it's like, Why are you there? It's like four AM.
2: The more we talk about it, the more this feels like an episode of Supernatural.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely has those vibes, especially like, you know, mm-hmm. late, late series.
0: I don't think I'm gonna watch Supernatural then. I think I'm gonna cross that one off the list of my watch list.
2: Uh... I stopped around season 10 and I really want to like finish it because I dedicated like hours and hours of my life to it and I'm only mostly just like stopped because I went to university and didn't have cable anymore but like uh you should at least watch to season five and then after that you don't need to because season five is where it was supposed to end like originally and then they just like kept going because of how high the ratings are but like the story like it's good to that point
0: sure Alina, sure
2: (laughs) trust me I had great taste in high school.
0: As does everyone. Um, that's going to be it for this episode of Clappercast. But before we go to recommendations, a little bit of an announcement. It's been a publicly announced, so I'm not like breaking any news here. But Clapper has launched a Patreon, and you listening to Clappercast might be interested because we have more Clappercast content <laughs> coming on Patreon uh, monthly on Patreon, we're releasing two podcasts a month. One is Clapper Debates. This month's release is on May 4th. Actually, it's already out if you're listening to this. Um, It's about which is the best Star Wars film. You can hear me passionately argue for Rise of Skywalker and desperately lose to everyone. So that's that. Paul's face says it all when I said that Um, and then also we have classic Clappercast so basically Clappercast looks forward we review new releases classic Clappercast once a month we get together and we review old releases that somehow tie into new releases so like this month uh, I'm not going to say fully what films they are but like a quiet we're talking about films that have to do with A Quiet Place 2, uh, Spiral from Book of Saw and oh Cruella that's the last one so films that have to either directly relate or thematically relate to those films, uh, that's coming out on the 17th. So for $2 a month, you get, I think this month, like five to six hours of podcast content. So like, seems like a pretty good deal. Uh, you can find it by going to Clapper. Uh, let me grab the link. It is www.clapper that www.patreon.com slash clapper ltd um if you just go to patreon and type in clapper you can find it also so feel free to subscribe to that if you want but let's end this off with our recommendations i will start first um not a hot take or anything, not a deep cut. I fell in love with Swiss Iron Man again this week. Um, I every time I rewatch this film, I love it more and more. And I was showing a friend it for the first time, and like that's one of those great films to show a friend who knows nothing about it. And it's like, oh, you know, it's it's a gay farting corpus movie, but it's also one of the most like authentic portrayals of life, like I think that's ever been put to screen. Like this film speaks to me on such a deep level, and every time I watch it. It's just so fun. It is so fun, so deep, so hard hitting. The soundtrack is iconic. The songs are amazing. It you know it easily could be a great sing along um, if you're watching for that. The cinematography is great. I mean, I just, I love this film so, so much. Um, Alina, what's your recommendation this week?
2: Um, I forgot to pick one until you just asked me, but I watched Legally Blonde recently and I know everyone's seen that movie, but I watched it at a very like turning point in my life. And just like the scene, where the professor tells Elle, if you're gonna let one stupid prick ruin your life, you're not the girl I thought you were. And I just like, that line has just like totally changed my perspective on a lot of things that are happening to me right now. And I'm just like, I fucking love that movie. Like everything about that movie is so iconic. and feels good. And Reese Witherspoon is just like such a good person. I love Elle Woods. Like, if you haven't seen League of Legends, like, if you're one of the few people on the planet that haven't, hasn't experienced the bend and snap, you have to watch this movie. It's so good.
0: Paul, what's your recommendation for this week?
1: Um, so I, like a lot of people, watched the new Mortal Kombat movie, and I'm recommend. no, I'm not recommending that. It was terrible. It's so bad. But as is very common with um, Warner Brothers, they did an animated version of Mortal Kombat. It's called Mortal Kombat Legends, Scorpions Revenge. Way too long a title. But that is the movie you wanted. <laughs> it's it, almost the exact same plot, but it's very violent. Uh, there were a couple of times I winced because it was so gross. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's just like kind of the dumb, mindless action that you were expecting from the Mortal Kombat movie um so if you need like something to wash your mouth out after seeing that and just being a little disappointed it's great it's on hbo max um so have at it
0: speaking of animated warner brother films paul you'll be happy to know i know you like the dc animated films i got halfway through flashpoint last night and then fell asleep i'm starting to watch them all so i'll report back to you i'm trusting you that you said this was a worthwhile experience so i trust you. yes it is
1: uh flashpoint is also not really connected so just heads up on that
0: Okay, well, it was um, on no, it's your like, list as the first one. No, I'm going off your is, list. It
1: is, but I even, I definitely put in the thing at the top. Basically, the Flashpoint is referenced later, but like all of the voice cast and everything changes. It's the way that all like continuities within every universe are, are like, well, yes, that's important, but like, so you're going to watch that one and then it's kind of the end of one generation and starts the next one, but you'll see it comes back in a later episode.
0: I trust episode. you. Episode
1: because they're they are an hour long, so yeah, yes. But yes, uh, those are great too. Any of the DC animated movies you should watch.
0: Man, if only there was like an article ranking them all or something. I don't know. That'd be crazy to post.
1: Oh yeah, no, I did hear there was some conversation about us maybe releasing an article about ranking all the DC AMU movies. Maybe someone even well, wrote the entire thing. I don't Who know.
0: Listicles. Hashtag release the Paul cut. Um, Nick, what's your recommendation for this week to close this off?
3: After many, many years of wanting to watch it, I sat down and saw Man Bites Dog, and it was great. It was everything I could hope for for this film. It's a Belgian 1992 mockumentary dark comedy about a serial killer followed around by a documentary crew that's trying to understand how he lives, how he makes money, how he's surviving. And he's a charismatic man, he's incredibly endearing to watch on screen, and he's also completely nuts. And the longer the movie goes on, the more he manages to corrupt documentary crew to start helping him out, first in small ways then in terrible ways by the time it reaches the end. Um, I love documentaries, and this is one of those movies that kept on popping up constantly, like best dark comedies, best documentaries. And I finally watched it, and yeah, it was everything I could hope for. It's dark, it's twisted, it's hilarious. It's definitely not for everyone, but if you have a sick sense of humor like I do, you're going to love this.
0: Perfect. And that's going to wrap it up for ClapperCast this week. Where can we find everyone on social media? Nick, why don't you start us off?
3: You can follow me on Twitter at NickyGran97 and on Letterboxd at NiccoloGrasso, Grasso. And you can watch my short films and video essays on YouTube and Vimeo at EnjoyTheMovies.
1: Paul? At Pricelike Tag on Twitter and Letterboxd, but just follow me on
2: Letterboxd. Alina? I'm at Alina Falls everywhere.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews or on letterbox just Carson Tamar. You can find all the latest releases of television and film reviewed at www.clapperltd.co.uk. We're on Instagram, we're on YouTube, we're on Patreon now. We're everywhere. Just you can find all of our stuff at Clapper, Clapper Ltd. Um, as well as links off that website. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema. We'll see you then.